0: welcome back to the Teach podcast. This is Jen. Hi, everyone. This is Tisha. And it has been a while since we've been back with you guys. We have so much to unpack. And just like you all, we've been educators in the thick of it. But finally, we're on summer vacation. And so Tisha and I really wanted to spend some time today just looking at the year thinking about what happened talking about all the topics that we've been putting on hold that we've been tabling because we've just haven't had the mental space to process them for ourselves let alone in this space with you all Um, but it's been a year and i I guess i just want to know today tisha how are you feeling as we kind of immerse ourselves into this next phase of summer vacation
1: well i am still i would say in processing mode we've only been out like a full week and it just feels like the first couple of days i just needed to to sleep and just to think about everything that happened this year but i'm starting to feel you know like it's summer and to get outside and do stuff so i'm almost at a, a neutral space but it feels good just to know that you know, I have time for me and to do some of the things that I enjoy doing. So that's something to look forward to.
0: And I like how you said you're at a neutral space because I agree it took like those first couple of days to kind of let the energy process through my body and to get out of stress mode or fight or flight. Like, I feel like, you know, nobody can deny that this year has been just a year. I don't even know one word to describe it. And so just like the first few days, I felt like I was just exhausted, like more so than usual. Um, And now finally I'm starting to think like, okay, let me get into some books that I wanna be reading. Let me get into bike riding. Let me get outside with my kids. But I just needed some silent space to get into neutral and to get back to some of these practices that I've admittedly like put on hold and that I've really needed to make me feel sort of whole. Um, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about as I've taken this time to get back to neutral and to reflect is just where we are now as opposed to where we thought we may have been last year. I remember this time last year we had done a lot of reflecting on the podcast and just in general of like reimagining the the educational landscape, you know, like at that time it was school closure and we were coming to summer last year and what is next school year going to look like and are we going to be teaching on Zoom? Are we going to be teaching face-to-face? Are we going to be teaching behind plexiglass? And just a variety of scenarios. And I remember having, you know, having anxiety, of course, but also having a certain level of optimism of thinking like, yes, this is the opportunity we've been waiting for. This is a chance to reimagine what is possible, in our classrooms and thinking about you know anti-racism and abolitionist teaching and thinking about more inclusion and equality and we had taken the standardized tests off the table last year and the world still was spinning and so I was thinking that our priorities would be different this year and then flash forward a year and I feel like that is so not the case and I was just very much like sitting with that and processing that a lot right now.
1: Mm -hmm. That's true I mean it's almost like We, you and I, you know, we have a certain level of optimism and just the way we reframe and look at things, you know, and um, just like at that time we were trying to just navigate through it and just like kind of see our way and try to figure out. But really, you know, we were dealing with the unknown. So ideally we were like, okay, this is the time that schools can like do it over and do it better and do it the right way, you know, and, and do what kids need and tend to our emotional and our, you know, needs like, you know, mental health needs and things like that. And reimagine what school can look like. But then while we were in it, we were like, man, it just seems like it's status quo. Like, like some schools may have not realized that this was a pandemic and kids are suffering and teachers are suffering and teachers are quitting and you know our schools are falling apart and we're still trying to to do it the way we've always done it it's almost like that assembly line mentality you know
0: definitely and then it just reminds me of a documentary i would seen like years ago Uh, and I don't even totally remember every aspect of it, but it was called Waiting for Superman. And it was about our education systems and how like school reform and charter schools. And like I said, I don't totally remember the premise, but I think at the end of the day, it's like, we can't wait for Superman. I think part of that optimism was waiting for this like massive like reform, maybe from the government or the district or the state to come in. But at the end of the day, I think it comes back to us as individuals, us as educators have to take our social, emotional well being. Uh, as a priority. And we have to make that priority for our students because it's like nobody else is going to do that for us. And if nothing else this year has proven that to us, if it's not going to happen during a pandemic year, when is it
1: going to happen? Yeah, it's never going to happen. So that's true. And I think um, overall educators have realized that people in general, you know, have realized during that time of isolation, we got a chance to really like look at what's important and you know, spending time with our families. I mean, the pandemic like brought out a lot of things, but at the same time, I feel like people got a chance to kind of, you know, go inward in a sense. Those people on the front lines didn't really have to do that, but had an opportunity to do that because they still had to work. Everybody couldn't work from home. And, but just the time of where like the world kind of slowed down a little bit and forced us all to kind of take stock of our lives and to really realize what's important to us.
0: Absolutely, and now the question is, how are we integrating that as we reopen, as we're going on year two of the pandemic, how are we integrating the lessons that we learned and how are we reprioritizing that which we deemed important during this time when a lot of things were stripped from us? And I think that that's a good point. Something else I wanted to talk about, this was an episode we had wanted to do, and then just like we said, the exhaustion of it all we didn't get around to was standardized testing. I remember that was a big piece of like, were they gonna do it? And then, you know, our for example, our state in South Carolina had put in a waiver to, for the testing to not happen this year. And then the federal government came back and said, no, we will have to have testing. And so I just thought that was really interesting in a year like this year, where we were already combating the fact that students might not be learning in the most optimal settings, whether it be at home or with the trauma of the pandemic and all the things that were going on, they weren't primed for learning. And we took away so much time preparing for these standardized tests and then actually physically testing the students. And that was something that I had wanted. I was curious what our listeners would feel about that. And that I just wanted to bring to the forefront because that was something on my mind and heart as an educator
1: during this time. Yeah, that's true and you know what you hear you've been hearing a lot of a lot of stories on the news and different places about the the regression of uh, our kids and what they've lost in the past year and a half and how you know the kids were already you know lagging behind in some grade levels and reading and math primarily and just so they they acknowledge that okay yeah we lost like over a year's worth of instruction but yet we're still going to test these kids that just doesn't make any sense to me like why would you knowingly test a student know that they're already coming in at a disadvantage and what's the purpose and and why do schools have to test? Why is our educational system set up that way that we have to test kids all the time or test them in that way with those standardized tests that are sometimes and most times biased and you know don't relate to different ethnic groups and kids can't relate to certain things in the test they don't know you know it's just like so archaic to me I just don't understand.
0: I agree, and I've been doing a lot of thinking around that in my role as an instructional coach. Coach of like formative assessments, like I want an assessment to inform my instruction immediately. So Mm -hmm. I understand the point of, you know, taking like an exit ticket or taking tests and quizzes and assessments that you can use right then and there the next day to impact your instruction. But something like the standardized test, where the students aren't getting their scores back till the fall, the following school year, they're just there, the buy-in's not there, and teachers aren't able to immediately implement the, you know, the data, what the data says. And so that's something that's just sort of been sitting with me interestingly this year. And I wanna like reframe how I think about testing and how I encourage my, the teachers that work with me to think about formative assessments and how we're using this assessment data and how we can make the system work for us. So I think that that brought a, a big part this year when I think about, okay, why are we giving these standardized tests? And what most importantly, what are we gonna do with this data that might feel like lagging data when we don't get the scores until the fall? That's true. Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. that's true. And teachers can um, be more creative, you know, that would give teachers more leeway to say, okay, we're going to give you a test, but it's not going to be paper, pencil, we're going to have you like write a story about what you learned, you know, or be creative in ways where immediately after a lesson or a unit or a concept is taught, teachers can come right in and say, okay, I want you to write a poem about that. I want you to draw me a picture about what you've learned. And then that way you can really see, you know, immediately what students learn. And teachers, we teach like that anyway, you know, but just to have that standardized test um, cloud hanging over us and then some of our jobs may be tied to how well these kids perform. And, you know, it's just too much added pressure
0: absolutely like i wonder you know what accountability could look like in a different way and what different what our listeners thought about that if anyone had any creative ideas of how maybe you use testing or use formative assessments and some of those authentic assessments in ways to just make the a knowledge like base that students have work for you in terms of supporting their instruction I think that that's important to think about as we move forward, because like we said at the beginning of the episode, we can't wait for somebody to make these reforms that we talked about. We have to be those intentional conveyors of social, emotional well-being in our classroom. And we have to be those that protect the education model for our students and reframe it. So that's true. That's a good point. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to the next point, the hot topic issue that we wanna talk about is CRT. We've been hearing a lot about it and it's almost like, okay, certain um, like forms of government or different states and there's a lot of states in the South um, and around the country that are talking about CRT. Uh, For those of you who may not be familiar with the term, it's critical race theory. And you've been hearing about it on the news, talk shows, people are talking about it. What is it? And just in classrooms, you know, like I'm thinking if uh, some of these laws are passed and our state has a law that says they don't want it in the schools, but giving teachers the autonomy, it's like almost taking the autonomy away from teachers to talk about things that are important. Like I remember after the George Floyd, the verdict came I spent like the whole day with students processing it with them because they had a lot of questions and they wanted to know like what's going to happen now or why is this they had a lot of questions about you know the law the legal system how it works and just with a, a current event issue like with Black Lives Matter and I heard like one teacher got almost got fired or lost her job or got put on leave because she discuss with their students, you know, what Black Lives Matter meant, and it's like the the schools are, are being, our teachers are being forced to, like, teach what we're being told to teach, like, you can't talk about certain things, so with CRT, people in education, K through 12 education, are not teaching it, per se, they're not teaching it, it's Used in graduate schools and in law schools, it's a, a theoretical framework. Um, I'll just give a brief little synopsis of what it is. It's it's something that um, is used to try to show how race and racism can be found in politics and policies and the laws in our society. Even if they seem neutral, they can actually be found in disparities among races and people who've been, you know, historically. Uh, minoritized and disadvantages, primarily black and brown people, other people of color, can still be at a disadvantage because of the laws that were made um, to keep certain people out of the mainstream or from buying a home or you know the structural racism that exists, even though you hear people say there's no such thing as systemic racism racism. we know that that it is. So I look at CRT and Jen, you can give me your thoughts on it. Like, do you think it's like a way for um, some people in politics to kind of like not talk about certain things or, or talk about the truth, or even have our kids know what the truth is? Because when it boils down to it, like we look at Juneteenth, we just celebrated it and it just became a national holiday. Um, a couple weeks ago so how are educators supposed to actually teach and celebrate a federal holiday but they can't talk about the historical origins in the most penetrating ways that you know there's a lot of contradictions there so I want to know your thoughts on that yeah
0: I think that it's really frustrating because it does feel like with these policies it's a way to sort of pigeonhole teachers and students from having these really meaningful conversations. And I appreciate the CRT framework because I think that prior to having this language around it, I just always taught about current events, what's relevant, what's going on in our world, what's relevant to the students, what's relevant to the population we're teaching, you know, and I think that that's really important, so thinking about, like, as you were talking about the teacher who got reprimanded for teaching about Black Lives Matter, I'm flashing back to, like, four years ago in my classroom, where I did a whole unit on Black Lives Matter, and we talked about the origin of the movement, and we read, um, Books that might be controversial. And in fact, like we even read articles about why these books were controversial at that time. Those hot books were um, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas and All American Boys. I think it's Brendan Kiley, and um, I'm, I'm blanking on the other Jason Reynolds, um, and Ghost Boys. And so that was like maybe a hot button topic, as you're saying, in some places. And I was fortunate enough to have administration or school district that supported that, I guess. But to me, that's just what you teach. That's what good teaching is, is being relevant and Mm -hmm. making your students critical observers. Like we shouldn't just accept things that are given to us in terms of like history. Like I think that Uh, A big piece, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I think, is that uh, I'm very active in anti-racist book study at my school, and it's a year-long process. We work with community members, and one of our biggest premises is like poking holes in theories, like just realizing how whitewashed our history has been, and Mm -hmm. now that that's coming to the forefront, what are we going to do with that information? And I think it's really awesome that Juneteenth has become a federally recognized holiday and so it's crazy to not talk about that and then the other thing that's been really I think a hot topic of the forefront is the Tulsa massacre and I've seen a lot of literature um, the book Magic City is an adolescent novel I don't think it's new but I think it's re-emerged and then there was a children's book called Unspeakable about the massacre and just making this information forefront it's part of our history whether we like it or not and it's ugly and it's brutal but that's part of we are and it's important that we look at it that we talk about it and so I think I don't really know if I have a great response but it's just really frustrating to hear that people are trying to shut that down but I also think it's almost like reassuring because there's a reason that it's trying to be shut down because it's that important to talk about when something's you know seen as controversial or something that's like on one of those lists that's being shut down that's how you know that you're onto something good that that's
1: what we need to be talking about right now as a society that's true and you're exactly right with those kind of uh, things that happened in history. There are so many, I mean, Tulsa is just one of them. There was one in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. There was a, a, a massacre similar to Tulsa. Uh, others, other cities, Don Lemon just put out his memoir. He lays out quite a few of those places um, where massacres happen against, you know, black communities around the country uh, where, you know, communities were burned and destroyed. So Tulsa is just one of many unfortunately, but at the same time our history is what it is and our kids need to know it, but at at in the same vein we can show them look, in spite of all of that that's happened, there is still black joy. There's still resistance, there's still resilience. There's still, you know, other communities of color that have been marginalized that are still still there. I'm thinking a lot and studying and getting into native and first peoples history in this country and how that's being brought out. And you know, the indigenous populations around the country who this country decimated. I mean, it just is so tragic, you know, but this is part of this country's past and our kids have to know it. I mean, you can't just start at like 2,000 and go on or like all the things that are positive. You know, one thing about CRT, and I'll go back to that, was being taught in the schools. They There's on the books, I read the law um, that was proposed in our state where it said like anything that causes guilt shouldn't be taught. I'm like, what? Like, yes. who, how can you measure guilt? Right. So that's <laughs> you know, just, sort of, it's just it's like the, a top of a response, you know? Like mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. you know. It is, but you know what? Too um, at the same time, you know, this issue needs to be constantly talked about and 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 brought up because, as light as people may take it, you know, yes, no, CRT is not being particularly taught in schools, but critical race theory has a series of theoretical propositions that race and racism are normal in American life. It's a part of American life, and it's a story that guides some of the educational policies. That's Mm -hmm. where the connection is, the Mm -hmm. educational policies that apply to who gets suspended, the suspension rates in school, who gets put in special education, who gets in AP and honors classes and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. So that's the systemic part of it. Like in certain schools, if you look a certain way, you're not gonna be considered for like the gifted and talented programs or classes. So CRT is interwoven into that because structural racism is a part of American life. When you look at the median income of a white family versus a, a black family or a brown family, it's starkly different, You know, disparagingly different. The uh, median incomes and home ownership, all of that is based in critical race theory. Absolutely. And our kids are affected.
0: They're definitely affected, and they might, you know, they don't even know like that they're swimming in this like, um, like they're just not understanding maybe why they're not getting ahead because it's not being talked about, and I think Quite. that that's the problem if it's not being named or identified. Um, and we read the book The Color of Law this past year in our anti-racist book study, and that was all about just some of these government sanctions that affected the housing of African-Americans and just um, redlining and that whole, and that was eye-opening for me. That was shocking. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think just even that awareness piece, like there's always individual work we can do, collective work we can do, and it does, conversations with our students are huge. It's so important to make them aware, but also I think the piece that I'm recognizing is as an educator, it is my responsibility to make myself aware of this so that I can come with a more open mind to the conversation and understanding of where this comes and, and continue to be an advocate from an educated place. Because like I said, like this continues to be shocking for me the more that I unfold. And so I think providing resources, providing spaces, having this be at the forefront, this should be taught in schools, but also to the adults. Like, I think that as adults, as educators, we need to be looking at critical race theory. We need to be acknowledging the structural racism and looking at certain policies and looking at our own practices as individuals in our classroom, as well as collectively on a school-wide level and even larger on a district level or statewide level of the policies we have in place, even like standardized testing, like we talked about and what populations benefit from that and you know the types of questions that we're asking and the potential like downfalls to those, anything to that to our uh, discipline data and how we're defining respect in our classroom and what does that look like for somebody that's different coming from a different culture. So I think it's, it's you can't not talk about it and it's right. just ignorance is not bliss in this case because we're continuing to perpetuate a greater uh, just gap
1: and- And, mm-hmm. and do more harm, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so like you said, I'm glad you brought up that point because it's gonna take educators to do some of that, to do a lot of that work, you know um, of of educating yourselves and even parents, you know, you may have to sit down and 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 read some books or look at some documentaries or watch some things. There's a lot of content now, you know, on TV, um, Amazon Prime had that underground road. Um, series on and it's hard to watch but it's necessary there's a a episode on South Carolina I think Georgia is one of them but it looks at the Underground Railroad like as if it was a real railroad which it wasn't but it still delves into the history of of this country and there's a lot of content on um, the different platforms and families can sit down with their kids and and watch some of them and, and discuss them. And then as educators, we can, you know, educate ourselves so that we can know, but it's going to take some work and it's not easy. It's not easy work because we, we know the, the, the tragedies that have happened, but at the same time, we still have to look at the resilience. Like in spite of we still have to come back to the, we have the trauma, but we have the resilience on the other side of the trauma. You know, so that's, that's Mm -hmm. the high point.
0: I think so too, and that reminds me of something that I think both Tisha and I were members of this book study that our district um, and the Collective College put on with Dr. Bettina Love's work. And I really would recommend some of her work, um, specifically her book that we want to do more than just survive, I think it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. But I love something that she talks about and she talks about how it's always just like the extreme, like we see you know, the black suffering and then we see the black resilience but like also like it's really important that we also look at like ordinary, like like Black joy, like we said, but also like just ordinary, like normalizing just like the Black experience, right? Like just, you know, like it's not just, they're either exceptional people that have overcome this tragedy or they've suffered at the cost of this tragedy, but like we're having this human experience and uh, one documentary that was recommended through um, PBS, this anti-racist series that they did last summer, um, was called through the night. And it was looking at like a daycare center. I want to say it was in New York city that just t- was just in a black community in New York city. And just what the day-to-day life was like very like mundane, but it was really just well done. And I think just more of that, like seeing the joy, seeing the experiences. And so it's not just that they're exceptional or that they're suffering, but there's a true experience here. And I like that she made that point.
1: That is cool because you know what, at the bottom, at the bottom of it all, or at the basis of this. All of the the theories and the ideology and the talk and the discussions around this, people just need to see the humanity in each other. And um, I want to say that's one of the things that the pandemic brought out that everyone was facing something and everyone was suffering. So you see that you know white suffering is not worse than black suffering or native suffering. It's all trauma. It's all you know. We're we're in this collectively. So if people just look at the humanity in each other without fearing and anyone, you know, a lot of this talk about CRT and not wanting to be taught in schools, it's just out of fear. You know, it's out of fear, fear of not really knowing under other people's cultures or understanding. And if we really got into it, you see the commonalities and we share more than, than we don't, Absolutely. you know, as as human beings. I mean, we're all on this planet so the divisiveness i hope that you know people can put a lot of those things aside and i think people's eyes are opening you know to it a lot because it's in our face so we can't turn away and that's what the pandemic did it forced us to be in our homes and i mean that was that was purposeful i like to say the universe made that happen for a reason because Mm -hmm. we were all at home and we all could see you know the injustice and the protests and we were all watching globally as a planet, you know, mm-hmm. everyone. So we see our, our common humanity through all of this. And that's, that's what we want to teach our kids.
0: I think so too, a hundred percent. And I think going on the fear point that some of the uh, aversion to teaching CRT is also a fear of change, right? Like mm. there's that like need to hold on to, like, this is how it was always done or like, you know, we were always taught this way or what would happen if this became public knowledge or whatever. And that like unyielding, like, you know, inflexibility, I think that's another fear of people that are adverse to teaching CRT in schools. Um, And I just think that we know that that just has such a damaging effect. And even just the idea of like, you know, colorblindness and like everyone's the same, you know, that's not true. We have to look at the reality that that doesn't, that actually perpetuates the Mm -hmm. problem. If you're going to turn a blind eye to the situation and not be willing to look at these hard truths that are so apparent in our face, like you said, during the pandemic. Um, And that's happening right now, not even like the history, but like what's happening in real time in our country and elsewhere right now. So it's 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 a lot, it's a lot to process, but I think that my, I guess, words of wisdom as I continue to do this work for myself as a white educator is to, to our listeners to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and to continue to do the work and to better yourself so that you can show up better for your students so that we aren't having these same conversations 20 years from now that things can be more progressive and moving in the right direction. We have to do the work now for the future of our students.
1: Yes, that is true and our public school systems they are governed by, you know, state government. So if if anyone listening if there's something that's going on in your state legislature or you don't agree with and you know what's happening, it trickles to the schools and our taxpayer dollars are I mean, it's all—it's all a part of each other. So it's—it's it's not beyond um, us to to speak out and to say we don't agree with this. I mean, school board meetings around the country are being held, and they're talking about this, and it's getting heated for some folks. But you can write a letter, you could send an email. A group of parents or teachers can, you know, get together. There may be backlash, but then there's supposed to be protections there. But it's just like what are you willing to stand up for? And if it's something that is going to hamper the freedom of expression for teachers, because we know, Jen and I, I know we had teachers that were very open and honest with us and they shaped our thinking and caused us to think deeply about things. That's the goal of education, to create critical thinkers and students that are going to you know, be able to express themselves and explore and want to delve deeper into things, not just like creating a, a, a generation of robots that are just going to say, okay, that's the status quo. I'm going with that. You know, we don't want that. That's not the kind of world that we want our kids to, to live in or we want to live in.
0: Totally agree. Like compliance makes me nervous. You know, like there has to be, you can't afford not to be an advocate right now, or ever really an
1: activist right an activist, activist too
0: an activist i think that's the word i want to use an activist and the thing is like we've talked about in previous episodes activism can look different like you said it could be writing a letter it could be having a conversation it could be uh, going to school board meetings or going to the state department or whatever the case may be but find your level of activism and then that kind of brings us to one of our main points here at Teach find ways to fuel yourself so that you can be this activist and you can be this advocate and you can speak up. And so what are some ways that we can clear our energy of the trauma of this year, some ways that we can make space and time for rest and play and to unplug, but to also be mindful and conscious and aware so that we can continue to do this work of activism that's so desperately needed in our schools right now. And so I know Tisha being a meditation practitioner, I got the opportunity to um, go to Tisha's class this morning and it was wonderful and really recentering and really grounding. So if you had any specific words of wisdoms for our listeners today on that, how we can clear our energy and continue to show up for ourselves so that we can show up for the bigger picture of education.
1: Yes. Uh, Thank you for that. And and those kind words about the class this morning. Uh, the class this morning. The intention we set was for equanimity, and it's a you know being calm in the midst of whatever it's going on, and just being grounded and being flexible. So we talked a lot about you know being like a tree, flexible, strong, yet you know we may bend but we don't break, and just finding ways to to recenter ourselves. And one of the one of the main ways that I'm learning is to rest. Um, rest is a radical act. Sleep is a, a, a radical revolutionary act because I was listening to a meditation teacher um, later, earlier, after the class, after the class ended this morning, he talked about the distractions that we're all under and how things are just trying to get our attention, like a tweet or a beep, or we're looking for a, of some notification on the phone or something like that. You know, all those distractions that are there just to keep us away from our true selves. And I recommend get trying to get more sleep, not trying, just get more sleep. Be intentional about your sleep if you can this summer. Um, take time just to put whatever you think you need to take care of, put it aside. excuse me and know that it will get done when it will get done you know just finding that time to play get outside with your kids or just to go for walks or go to the beach or go to the park or just you know do things outdoors try to spend as much time as you can outside because we've been cooped up inside for a long time and still some people don't feel you know, safe getting out in crowds. I'm not saying like, go to a 10,000 person concert, even though those things are going on. And I'm like, not cool with me, but I've been like spending time with small groups of friends and family and just getting outdoors and just learning from nature. So nature and rest and unplugging when you're out in nature, you don't need your phone. You don't need it with you to be checking messages or to see the latest post on Instagram or TikTok videos or whatever. Those things are just distractions. And I really think we should just like take some time and just to rest and restore ourselves this summer.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. And I appreciate the reminder of the equanimity practice and the idea of just being like the tree, you know, grounded, rooted, but also flexible and able to handle anything that comes your way when you continue to ground down in some of these practices definitely the rest thing for me reading just and I find like I equate like summer or vacation to like fiction I like to like escape into a world like often as you can tell from these podcasts I love to learn new things and explore new things and for me that's part of my self-care process is like doing the work and growing but other times it's just wanting to truly like escape into some beautiful language and good words of fiction so that's something that I plan to do a lot this summer as well and I really so Jen, um not to cut you off but can you tell
1: us what you're reading right now
0: yeah so I'm Uh, often reading multiple things so right now for my fiction book I'm reading Jodi Picoult's Leaving Time. Um, I just read her House Rules and it reminded I just picked it up like randomly and it reminded me how much I like her writing style. If you haven't read her it's like she talks about like controversial topics and she does a lot of research in her fiction works and it's just really character driven so I really love her pieces and then simultaneously I just started listening on audiobook to The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown, because I like her podcast a lot, Unlocking Us. And it's the 10th year anniversary of The Gifts of Imperfection. So she and her sisters are doing this series that are kind of almost like an interactive book study through her podcast on The Gifts of Imperfection. And I think that that's a really good, like, as a human being, I think it's a worthwhile read. What
1: about you? What are you reading right now, Tisha? Well, right now, um, you talk about audio books. I do have um, quite a few in the Audible library, but one that I've been just going back to is Inward by Young Pueblo. I just finished that, but that's a book that you can kind of just keep revisiting and almost like open it up to any page, and it's always words of wisdom. He also has a new one out called Clarity and Connection by Young Pueblo. But as far as like a fun, riveting read, um, I'm I just started. Zakia Dahlia Harris's book uh, it was recommended on NPR the other day and that's another resource guys y'all can go to NPR has great book selections but I learned about this one it's called The Other Black Girl and it's a novel and it's fun and this girl she was working in a, a publishing company in New York and she was the only only black girl woman in the office and then one day she like Notice the smell of cocoa butter in the air, and it's very vivid. And it's like white people know that you know we use cocoa butter a lot, and or just things that smell like that. But you know, on our skin, our hair, and she noticed the smell of cocoa butter. She's like, "Oh, I wonder if my white colleagues are using cocoa butter." And now she's like, "Nah, I can't be right." And it's just funny, but she realizes that there's another black girl who's in the office. So their um, relationships going to build throughout the book, and just the things that they talk about and um Zakia Harris does bring out like social issues as a part of it and racial issues too but the way she approaches it is like in a fun way but it's thought-provoking too so I'm looking forward to getting getting that one done.
0: That sounds really good yeah I definitely want to check that out next so I'd be curious what our listeners are listening to. If you guys wanna um, write in some popular summer reads, we could compile a list and just some other resources and things that we're reading, but it's always fun to hear what people are reading too. And I guess one more point that you brought up Tisha, I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but I thought about was kind of that anxiety of things reopening. I know you talked about you know, getting out into nature and getting out within your comfort level with like hanging out with groups or other people. And so I think that there's that piece of like trying to figure out your niche right now as we're going on to this next phase of the pandemic where things are open so we get to decide how we're going to use our time, spend our time, and how we're going to establish physical and energetic boundaries around what we're going to do with our time. So I just thought that was worthy of mentioning just, you know, we're all here for that too, we're all experiencing that. And it comes down to like having these practices and having boundaries, whatever ever that looks like. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to say on that.
1: Yeah, the boundaries pieces is, um, is big. And just like saying no, like you can be invited to things. And if you don't feel comfortable, just, you know just pass and say, you know, thanks for the invite but I'm gonna pass or just, you know knowing your boundaries and not feeling like obligated to have to do things, you know that you don't really feel comfortable doing. Um, and I do realize that like when I go out now most people aren't wearing masks I still wear mine um, but a lot of people aren't it just seems like they, they think that everything's all back to normal and it's I mean it's the that's the trauma too that's part of the trauma response because our brains want to think that it's back to normal and everything is you know, the way it was, but it's never going to go back to the way it was. So knowing the boundaries, if you don't feel comfortable in a space, just remove yourself out of it or, you know, keep the social distance. But the, um, the boundaries piece is going to be big for me. And I encourage all of you, if you don't feel comfortable doing something just to, you know, say when and just step away from it, you know, and don't feel any guilt behind it too. So that's that's a big thing too. A lot of times, you know, with family members, if we want to, you know, get together with them and they say, you know, let's do this or we want to do this and you may not feel comfortable, you can still, you know, say no and um, be okay with it. You have to know what's best for you. And if anything, this time has taught us, it's like, we know what's best for us and we have to, you know, stand firm to that with love and compassion but just have those boundaries in place
0: definitely and i think it goes back to the question that we asked in the beginning of like how are we going to integrate the lessons that we learned and the gifts of the pandemic gave us and i think that boundaries is one of them right we learned what we need what's essential for us so how are we going to protect that and of course our health and well-being in various ways is one of them so kind of closing with that note i think is really important but I really enjoyed today's episode. We had a lot to say, and it was nice Mm -hmm. to just catch up and rehash the year and all of the things as we move on to summer, and I'm looking forward to doing a few more episodes this summer, having some guests for you guys, some ways to support your own well-being, maybe some practitioners that can help us clear our energy, because I think that's going to be big for us this summer as we prepare for the next school year.
1: Yeah, and that is right around the corner, but we're not trying to even think about that, and I know that the school year just ended and then they're talking about like what's happening for next year already. Like give people a chance to like breathe and to catch their breath, but they're like going right into it. And that creates trauma too and anxiety like, oh my God. But let's just put that aside for a while. And what Jen and I will both do is curate a small list of resources and books and things um, that we feel that you may benefit from uh, she mentioned Dr. Love, so we'll put that in there through the night. That's a new documentary for me. I've never heard of it. Going to definitely check that one out. Um, the Wisdom of Trauma is another one. It's a film and it was a great series, Dr. Gabor Mate on just trauma and the body and Rasma Menekin's book on it and just fun ways uh, also to move that trauma around and move it out of our bodies and things that we could do. So there's a lot of lot of stuff out there. We'll share a few in the show notes and hopefully they can uh, benefit you as much as they did Jen and I. All
0: right, everybody take care, stay well, exhale, and we'll catch you on the next episode.
1: See you soon.